I was getting so many opportunities in the creative sector and with ease. And I didn't have to jump through a lot of hoops. I didn't have to bend over backwards. I didn't have to pretend like I was one of them. I didn't have to write all types of proposals in order to receive these opportunities. I didn't have to code switch. I didn't have to change my hair or the way I dressed in order to receive these opportunities. And one day I said, is this life without racism? Welcome to Black to Africa. My name is Tadre Delora Moignet, a California native living her best life in Nairobi, Kenya. I hope that you are informed, entertained, and inspired to Black to Africa. So on this episode, we will be discussing life without racism. Can you imagine? I can imagine. But I'm going to keep it a buck with you. Ain't no place on the planet that don't have an ounce of racism. Even the North Pole and Antarctica. Unfortunately, humans gone human. That's just what we do. That's just the nature of the beast. But you can move to a place where there is less racism, right? It, it's all relative, okay? So I want to talk to you about my experience in Uganda. Racism does exist in Uganda because Kampala specifically is a pretty international city. It's definitely more international than I thought. And even if you're not encountering white people, Europeans, Indians, let's just say non-black people, even if you're not encountering non-black people, you're still going to encounter a bit of racism. For instance, a girlfriend of mine who is from New Orleans, her husband is Ugandan. They were looking for housing. The woman who owned the housing complex was a Ugandan woman, and she preferred to rent to Europeans. Um, I guess maybe in her experience, the money was more consistent and they were willing to pay more. So this friend was telling me that, you know, she had to convince this Ugandan woman to actually rent to them. Um, I recall I actually had a really traumatic experience ooh, with a white American woman that I rented from and she treated me differently from the other tenants. For instance, when I left to go out of town, like to Jinja, which is still in the country, she preferred that I leave my key there. Um, it was just really bad. Things came to a head. I ended up leaving earlier than expected. 
and she physically accosted me. And I ended up having to go to therapy because I realized I had unhealed PTSD from living in America. And then I moved in with this white American woman and I thought we would be best buds because we come from the same state. We're both former athletes. You know, she was a uh, former basketball player and I thought that she would have been familiar with the culture, but in reality, she was like a white savior. If she couldn't save me, she really didn't want to have nothing to do with me. Um, and she definitely fucked black, but that was like a really hard lesson that I had to learn. And just because you fuck black don't mean that you down with black. So I say all that to say that I did have some very fucked up experiences um, in Uganda. I could go on and it didn't just end with white people. My first really bad experience was with this Indian man. And I went to the police because, and I told the police, I said, if, if you all cannot help me, this situation is about to get real bad. I'm going to handle it on my own. And uh, a police woman, she said, I will help her. She went with me back to the shop where the man had broken a device uh, it was um, it was a cell phone cover uh, called a Mophie. Those things are like a hundred bucks. He had never seen it. It's a cover as well as a charger. He had never seen it before and he broke it and then <laughs> told me he didn't break it. He was like, it's broke, but it's not broken. Uh, I won't go into detail, but when the police woman went with me back to the shop, the man continued to disrespect her, continued to disrespect me. And it was probably like an hour and a half before the situation was resolved. Other people were called in, the shop owner, et cetera, et cetera. They looked at me like I was filth, like I was a piece of shit asking for some money, asking for my money back for something that they had broken. Um, and then at the end of the day, the owner of the shop asked me for my phone number. He was just like, you know, I'm not like, these others, um, I've actually been outside, meaning he had left the country, he had left Uganda. And he was just like, um, you know, I've been outside, I've been exposed, and I'm actually coming to California, and, you know, may I have your phone number? I was like, after all y'all put me through, and I, I told him no. He was shocked, the policewoman was shocked. And she later told me, she was like, well, there was no harm in you giving him his phone. I said, this is about business. This is not about pleasure. Um, and so coming from the U.S., my generation, Gen X, I went to school with Indians. I hung with Indians. We are cool in the game. The experience here with Indians living migrating many generations in Africa, it's a bit problematic, it's a bit complex, and there's unhealed trauma. And to watch that play out has been interesting, although I'm not foreign to it because <laughs> the trauma and the pain 
that exists between white and black Americans, black Americans and Latinos, and just the tribalism. I, I'm, I'm accustomed to it, but it was just interesting to see that play out between blacks and Indians because my experience in the States is like we cool in the game. So with that being said, it's all relative, right? You could be in a city, a major city in the U.S., experiencing racism, which, you know, you might experience very little. Or you could be in a very rural area and be a numerical minority in the U.S. or wherever you're located and experience a magnitude, macroaggressions on a daily basis. I will say that my experience in East Africa is that racism has been minimal. It's not something that I have to deal with every day or even every month. One of the things I will say that surprised me, I, and I don't know why it surprised me because I should I should have known, but it was just something I had never thought about. Because East Africans don't experience racism on a daily basis, they don't really know what it is when it happens to them. <laughs> and so if you happen to work with Africans, let's say in the States, and shit go down at work, and everybody of color know what it is, Everybody of color that grew up in the U.S., they know what it is. Glances are being exchanged across the table. If it really, you know, is escalated, memos are being written, emails is escalated to HR. You probably noticed that your African coworker is like, what's the problem? <laughs> because they don't really know what it is because they haven't encountered it. They literally have to be called nigger to their faces to say, oh, I've been discriminated against. This is a problem. <laughs> Whereas those of us who grew up in the global north and my South African brothers and sisters, we know what it is. And I might even take it a step further and say, we be looking for it. When we go into non-black spaces, we be looking for it. Just the wrong word, the wrong gesture, the dog whistles. And that's just part of our experience. But again, I would say that, you know, I don't have to deal with it on a day-to-day -day basis, even a monthly basis. So I wanted to do this episode life without racism because specifically those of us of color in the global north particularly black people we don't know it we don't know life without racism we don't know life without discrimination we don't know life without micro and macro aggressions without trauma we don't know it it's so intrinsic to our experience that 
We don't even know that we're experiencing it until it builds up in our bodies to the point where we have to seek therapy, to where we have to go to a medical doctor, to where somebody literally has called you a nigger, to where you've been denied that promotion five times. So I want to send this message that it's possible to exist peacefully without having to deal with the daily slights because of the skin you're in, the hair you have, your nose, your tribe. It's possible. So my experience in Uganda, I moved to Uganda from Zanzibar. For my career, I had produced and hosted a series called Off the Beaten Path. It was about international travel and fashion. And I met a brother named Simone Atuha. Shout out to Simone. We met. He was like, I believe in your vision. I prayed for an opportunity like this. I want to work with you. Bet. I moved to Uganda to work with him. I said, I'm going to give Uganda two to four months. We're going to shoot these episodes and I'm going to move to Kigali. Moved to Kampala. Some people call it organized chaos. I would happen to agree. I enjoyed myself so much. I was so intrigued by everything and everyone. And every time I got ready to leave, I would get another opportunity and another and another and another. And my dad said to me, maybe this is a sign. Maybe this is a sign that you shouldn't leave, that you should stay in Uganda. I say, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I was getting so many opportunities in the creative sector and with ease. And I didn't have to jump through a lot of hoops. I didn't have to bend over backwards. I didn't have to pretend like I was one of them. I didn't have to write all types of proposals in order to receive these opportunities. I didn't have to code switch. I didn't have to change my hair or the way I dressed in order to receive these opportunities. And one day I said, is this life without racism? Is this life without discrimination? It's a beautiful life. It's one that, sadly, you have to be the purest of dreamers to imagine. And then to experience it within your body. What science has proven is that African-Americans 
have shorter telomeres than white Americans. And telomeres are like the building blocks of your DNA. And with the onslaught of the daily micro and macro aggressions, your telomeres get shorter and shorter. Which is why we don't live as long. Which is why we have all these health conditions. I mean, that really was displayed to the world during COVID. The other thing that I would say is just so beautiful this life without racism. It's just seeing yourself reflected everywhere and in everyone. I remember when I first moved to East Africa, I was seeing my cousins and my stepbrothers and my friends and my acquaintances and my coworkers everywhere reflected in people's faces and in their bodies. And I grew up at a time in the US where we were shamed for our bodies. We were shamed for having high, round asses, hips, things that people are paying for now. And to come to a place where so many women have that, and it's, 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 a, it's a desired physical trait, I just love it. I love it. I love seeing black beauty in all forms. the billboards, the advertisements, black people, black people everywhere. So I will tell you when I first came to Kenya, which was years ago, I would see advertisements for a new mall that was opening or a new housing development and it would be some white people on a billboard. And it was clear they are marketing this product to non-Kenyans. <laughs> And I recall saying that to a friend of mine who is Luo, and she was like, oh yeah, she worked in marketing. She was like, this is a problem and we're getting ready to pass a law banning this type of thing. Kenyans will be used in these billboards. I've heard Kenyans also say they are annoyed by the fact that South Africans are often used on the billboards, which I can see. It's a different combination of phenotypes. Um, of physical features. But for the most part, I will say to look up and see a toothpaste ad, to look up and see a new housing development, to look up and see a technology billboard, and it's a black family. I love it. Representation is powerful. Representation is important. Now, there's a caveat, because like I said, <laughs> along with a little racism is a little colorism. Colorism exists. It just does. You know, um, I happen to be on the more favorable side in terms of colorism, the desired color. You know, people will, add, will tell me, oh, your skin is beautiful. What do you use? That's typically code for what bleaching agent are you using? When I tell people, oh, I use shea butter, coconut oil, carrot oil, you know, that's not the answer they be looking for, right? So more often than not, it's a lighter skinned black woman on the billboard. Mm -hmm. Often it's a biracial looking child that is used in the ads. 
However, that's not the case 100% of the time. So, lastly, what I'll say about life without racism is the metaphysical effects. Metaphysical meaning mind, body, and spirit. My mental health has improved significantly. The life without racism as well as a slower pace of life. There's time to be with yourself. There's time to commune with your loved ones. In the global north, it's just, you're moving, you're moving. You're trying to make men's ends meet. You are, you're on the go. There's really no time to do anything but hustle. <laughs> you know, there's the occasional brunch, there's the occasional wedding, you know, birthday celebration, but really, mm -mm. your mental health improves significantly. When you go outside and you see yourself reflected, you're not on edge anticipating a microaggression because you've gone to a restaurant where there's no one black. You've walked into a space, a meeting where there's no one black. You know, it's just everybody black. You just, you're there. You're there. Spiritually, I'm just lighter. It's something I can't really explain. I was meditating and I was doing yoga and spending time in nature when I was in the States. But spiritually, I feel lighter. And I also feel as if my ancestors are happy. I returned home. It's like I've, I've reunited my ancestors with their people. That might sound crazy to some, but it's something that I felt from Ghana to Uganda to Kenya. Like, just, just home. And most of us, most African-Americans, our ancestry is traced specifically to West Africa. However, if you know anything about the East African slave trade, you know that people were taken from as far west as Cameroon and marched through the hinterlands to East Africa. In Uganda, they even have a monument. In Northern Uganda, they have a monument to the people that were stolen. There are forts up and down the coast of East Africa where goods and humans were kept. In Zanzibar, there is a slave museum where they'll tell you all about it. So I say all that to say that I feel at home here in, in East Africa not just because people have welcomed me and embraced me, but also because I do believe that some of my ancestors, they passed through here. Maybe they're from here. We don't know. The technology is just not that advanced. Physically, what can I say? Physically, I'm just... Hmm. 
better. I think it's the food. The food is cleaner, although Kenya did just pass a new resolution allowing GMO foods into the country. There was a ban previously. They say that they've done this because they want to mitigate the effects of drought. There is a drought in some parts of the country. <sighs> you know, that's unfortunate. Um, but what can we do about it? I'll just say that I'm better physically. I just feel better because if I'm not enduring these daily onslaughts of racism from work to social spaces, I can thrive. My body can relax. And science has shown what stress does in the body day after day, the buildup of cortisol in your body, it's not good. So I would say that, come on, come on home and experience the wellness, experience life without racism. So at the end of the day, I would say that you can't escape humans. Humans go human. But you can lessen the blow. And being surrounded by people who look like you, who have very similar sensibilities, it's like heaven. It's as close to heaven as you can get on this planet. So thank you for joining me on this episode of Blacks into Africa. May you thrive. May you move with love and intention. Until next time.